0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share
1: from God's Word. Josh is going to speak, and we're really... Yeah, you can apply that, because hey, I'll tell you, I like listening to a good message as much as I like uh, bringing one. And uh, um, speaking or teaching the Bible or, or preaching from the Bible is one of those things that the more, the more you do it, the more you just appreciate other people doing it. It's, yes, yeah. it's good. Mm-hmm. It's very good. So this is uh, Josh Fillmore, as I mentioned earlier. And, and uh, Josh responded to an inquiry that we made uh, back probably about three, three months ago and, Guessing January, yeah. Back in January, uh, said that we, you know, we said we were looking for someone, and he said that God had uh, laid on on their hearts a while back mm. to start looking for an opportunity to open up, and uh, um, so um, here here we are today. Um, Josh's family is uh, actually a local family; they have roots here. That's your great grandfather started. A business in Glenholm called Maritime Auto Salvage. Uh, so yeah. that's some pretty deep roots there. Eh? Yeah, pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if i, I just told them that, and you might have wanted to tell them that yourself. But anyways, I'm just going to pray for you, and then thank you, you can take. Thank you. Take it and go. Okay. All right. Father, thank you so much that Josh can be here with us and Elsie, and we just we just pray, Lord, that you would just bless them. We pray for them. The McClellan family today, Lord, that you just have your hand on them and Pete and Andrea. And, Lord, as we gather today, we know there's a lot of needs. Uh, we, we all we live in a world that's full of trials and, and temptations. And, Lord, we're constantly in need to look for you, look to you, uh, to meet those needs. And so we just lift up your people here today. Um, we pray for those who are here today that you would encourage us through your word and that you would bless and use Josh today as he speaks uh, your word and teaches us from your word. And that you just um, anoint him and fill him and use him for your glory. And we just thank you uh, that he can be here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Pastor thank you. Steve. Appreciate it. Oh, good morning. good morning. My name's Josh Fillmore. And this feels like a long time coming, you know. Uh, my family's here with me. My beautiful wife, Elsie, and our two kids are somewhere because we kind of hit a bump in the road as we were on the way here. And it didn't sit so well with our daughter, Jade, so we've already made use of your paper towel in your bathroom facilities, so (laughs) thank you very much. We're going to be digging into the book of Judges this morning, if you want to turn there. The last time I think I was in this room was back in 2006, and we were giving a report on a missions trip to New York City, and I think I actually got to step up and say some words about that 13 years ago, so it's been a while. So if you're brand new to this church, this is my first time being here in 13 years, I want to say a special welcome to you. This is a great church. You should really think about making this your home church, because I'm thinking about that myself. (laughs) (laughs) Judges chapter one. Has anybody had like a great start to their day this week? Like you just woke up one morning and everything seemed to go right. That wasn't the kind of morning we had, but maybe you had one this week. And you woke up and it's springtime, the birds are chirping and the sun is coming in your window. And maybe your your wife or, or your son or daughter remembered to set up the coffee maker the night before. And it's just wafting through the house as you wake up. And you decide to drive to work and your favorite song comes on the radio, right? It's just gonna be a good day. Or maybe you do your Bible reading plan and you're at your favorite spot in the Bible, and you get to read God's truth, and it just sounds like God's making a declaration or promise to you, this is going to be a good day. And then you get to work. (laughs) And your supervisor didn't seem to have the same morning that you did, right? Or maybe your kids wake up, and they didn't seem to get out on the same side of the bed that you did, right? But nonetheless, I'm having a good morning. Uh, We're going to make it through this. Just because my daughter threw up in the car, we can put the windows down, and the smell might be gone by the time we get back out there. It's going to be a good morning, you know? And then maybe a coworker or a friend calls you up, and they have some juicy gossip, right? A little bit of tea that they want to spill. And you listen a little too long, but then you realize, you know what, I'm not going to compromise my integrity with this. We're going to stop this right here. This is going to be a good day. And then your phone pings. And somebody's got a birthday on Facebook, so you feel like, you know, I'm having a good day, I should pass that along, so I'm going to wish them the happiest of birthdays. And you're on Facebook there, and then you realize, I've just spent the last 45 minutes on social media, and you've compromised maybe your integrity as an employee, but you know what, nonetheless, I'm going to take a short lunch break, and I'm going to get right back at it. And then maybe a coworker or a friend, they remind you, you know, you dropped the ball, last week, and you messed up, and you should probably apologize, and maybe you lash out quickly without thinking, well, you dropped the ball there two weeks ago, and, oh, what am I doing? And your, your coworker, or your friend, they say, are you just having a bad day? Well, no, my day started out great. I don't know what's happening. So you got to make it right, and if you're in the Maritimes in Atlantic Canada, that means going to Tim Hortons, and you get coffee and Timbits for all your coworkers and friends, Right? But you're rushing to make it happen. You're in the drive-thru and you spill the coffee all over your lap and it's just, ugh. And you get home and your family says, how was your day? (laughs) Terrible. I'm going to take my food and go eat it in front of the TV or something, you know. How did we get to that spot? You know, I really wanted to use this illustration, and this would have been perfect. We have this big Jenga set at church. Has anybody ever played Jenga? You know the game Jenga? It's these little blocks that you stack up, make a tower, and the, the name of the game is you're supposed to take a block from the bottom and set it on the top. And as the game goes on, the, co- the integrity of the structure is being compromised, right? And the higher it goes, the weaker it gets. Well, we have this massive one at church, and I was going to bring it until I realized it sat in a massive tote, and we would have no space in our vehicle. So I didn't do that. So you're going to have to imagine with me this massive Jenga tower. And as we read through Judges chapter 1, we're going to see how the Israelites took a block from the bottom and set it on the top, because that was the most convenient, easy way to get further ahead but it compromised the integrity of the structure. We're going to be talking about compromise and how compromise is a slippery slope. It starts out so slight, doesn't it? That's always how the devil works. He takes some of God's truth and he twists it just ever so slightly. And that first compromise doesn't really even feel like a compromise. It might not even be a compromise, but as you go, it gets worse and worse and bigger and bigger compromises. Anybody ever been there? Let's just all admit it. We've... We've all gotten ourselves into messes before, haven't we? So we're in Judges chapter 1. Maybe I shouldn't tell you guys that this morning, but yeah, I've gotten myself into messes many times. Judges chapter 1. Here's the bottom line. The choices you make today are the changes you're going to face tomorrow. The little things that you do today are shaping who you're going to be tomorrow. How today's generation views God is quite part and parcel of how tomorrow's generation is going to view God and follow God. Isn't that true? Judges chapter one. It seems to be a summary of the book of Joshua, and you see that with the beginning books of the Bible. Often they summarize what the previous book had to say. So Judges chapter one is quite a summary of the book of Joshua. And it begins by telling us that Joshua had died. And I wanna suggest that Joshua is in the process of dying, And we find out in chapter 2 that Joshua dies. And quite potentially, this could be like a memorial given as Joshua was coming to his last days on earth. A reminder of all the things that God had accomplished through Israel. All right, so Judges chapter 1, verse 1 says, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first against us? Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judas shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. That's a great way to start, isn't it? And that would be my suggestion for all of us. When we start a new day, when we start a new week, like we're doing this morning, when we start a new stage of life, let's look to God first. Let's inquire of the Lord first and make sure it's his will, his plan And his timing. And then we see the first signs of compromise. And you remember how I said the first ones are so slight. You know, it might not even be a compromise. But it might. I'll mention it. Verse 3. Judah said to Simeon, his brother, the tribe of Judah, said to the tribe of Simeon, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. How many people are in Truro? Is it up over 12,000, almost 13,000 now? Almost the size, the population of Truro. Take them out, because it says God was with them. But did you catch the compromise there? And it might not even be a compromise. I might be picking at straws here, picking at hairs. God says, I'll go with you, and I've already given them into your hand. Because when God makes a promise, he almost uses past tense because it's as if it already happened. Because when God promises something, it's going to come true. You can always count on God. So why did they turn to their brother's tribe? Why was their first reaction to ask help of the tribe of Simeon? Why wouldn't they have just trusted that God was enough? God promised... God said he'd give the victory, but maybe we should invite Simeon as backup. And I I know I'm reading into it just a little bit. And if you look at Joshua chapter 19, verse 1 tells you that Simeon's allotted land was inside the inheritance of Judah's allotted land. So they're fighting for the same land. So it kind of makes sense to fight together if they're fighting for the same land, right? So it might be a compromise. It might not be a compromise, And then we get to the first bit of the fun details in Judges. I used to love reading Judges as a kid because it has some explicit content. If if you're at all squeamish, you might want to plug your ears for this next bit. If there are any kids in the room, I'll I'll try and make it uh, rated PG here. Uh, They captured the enemy king. And they removed, I'll say, his thumbs and his big toes. And I thought that was so weird until I remembered that in the book of Leviticus, in order to consecrate the priests and the Levites and Aaron and the whole tribe to set them apart to God's holy work, they anointed their head, their thumbs, and their big toes. So in one act, it was consecrating people to God's work. And in another act of removing the thumbs and big toes, it was the desolation of that people group. And look at what this king says after it's done to him, the enemy king. Verse 7, Judges chapter 1. Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. But as I have done, so God has repaid me. Isn't it sometimes that we miss what God does, but other people can see it? I mean, this is an enemy king who did terrible things. Seventy other kings and nations that he had conquered who were basically dogs licking up the crumbs under his table. And he recognizes that it's only because of what God did that he was now defeated. Incredible. Strong start, minor compromise. Judah keeps on fighting and defeating. They take Jerusalem. They take the Nagab. They take Hebron, which you might remember is the place where Abraham buried Sarai a very important place uh, to the Israelites. They fight in the fields, they fight in the plains, they fight on the hills. And then we see a familiar face, which you'll recognize because you just came through the book of Joshua, a book about victory and courage and conquering. Um, It's Caleb. He's one of the original 12, the original 12 spies who went into the promised land way back in Moses' day. And it was only Joshua and Caleb who brought back a good report. You remember? And the other 10 spies brought back a bad report. We get to see Caleb in verse 12. Look at this. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kyria Sephir and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. How many people have seen the cartoon Disney movie Robin Hood with the foxes? Didn't, didn't Robin Hood participate in that archery contest for Miriam, wasn't it? The princess? Am I right in that? So it's, it's kind of like that sort of narrative. I like Disney. We're kind of at that stage in our household. <laughs> Verse 13. And Othniel, now get this relationship. Don't miss this because we're going to look back at it. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So does anyone want to take a guess at Othniel's relationship with Caleb? Nephew, right? Nephew. It's a little tricky in how it's worded, but if you look it up, most likely, Othniel is Caleb's nephew. Othniel captured it, and he gave him Axah, his daughter, for a wife. Now, regardless of what you think of prearranged marriages and the traditions that take place in the Middle East and ancient Israel, we're going to overlook that for a moment, and we're going to look straight to the principle of the matter. Caleb, who's a godly man, one of the spies, one of the only ones left of that generation with Joshua, who helped to lead the charge with Joshua, he steps to the side. And it's so subtle. It's so subtle. He steps from a leadership role where he's taking charge of the fight. He steps to the side and he invites the next generation to step up and to fight. Think about that. He calls out his nephew And he calls his nephew up to the task. And his nephew steps forward, takes the responsibility, like Dodge Ram, by the horns, you know. And he captures the land, and he's rewarded with Aksa, Caleb's daughter. I don't want you to miss that. You know, there comes a point where we have to call the younger generation up. We have to invite them into responsibility. We have to encourage them in the challenge. And I hate this one, but we have to let them face some of life's struggles. You know, as a parent, I so want to protect my kids, you know? But kids need to face some struggle. If we never let kids and youth step up to the plate, have a couple strikeouts before they get to hit a line drive, what's going to happen to them in the future? Joshua tried to get them to see that following God wasn't just a national escapade. It had to take place in the home. You remember he said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you know, Joshua's leadership, as good as it was, and he had a great name, let me tell you. Joshua, God is my salvation. As good as it was, it became a crutch to many people. And after the death of Joshua, we're going to see throughout the book of Judges, the people failed time and time and time again. We need to be calling the younger generation up, giving them opportunity to serve and to step up before we step down. Lead your family, lead your friends, lead your employees, lead your community, but find opportune times to step to the side and invite the next generation up. Not always easily done. Aksa then comes to her dad in verse 15. And the story doesn't end. Verse 15, she continues the conversation and she says, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb, notice this, he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Wouldn't one spring be enough? He gives her double. Now here's a man who didn't compromise. Caleb's a guy who went above and beyond. You want a spring of water? I'll give you the upper springs and you can have the lower springs too. You remember Abraham and his nephew Lot? They were growing too big and their servants were fighting. They didn't have room for all of their cattle and livestock. So Abraham stepped to the side and he invited the next generation to have the choice choice of the land. And then Abraham took the leftovers. Abraham took the seconds. Caleb does the same thing And Caleb gives Othniel and Aksa a a great start, a strong start in the promised land. And you know what? The things accomplished in life are so much greater when you have a hand in accomplishing them. Don't you get that? I remember when we purchased our first home, and my dad bought me a lawnmower as a a housewarming gift. Because if you know my dad, he loves his grass, and he wanted to pass that on to me too. And I want to tell you, it was so much more a sense of accomplishment mowing my own lawn than mowing my father's lawn all those years, you know? Because it's mine. It's my responsibility, and I need to step up to the plate. Aksa and Othniel have a great and strong start in the land because Caleb stepped aside and promoted them. Judah and Simeon, the story continues. They conquer Zephath, Hormah, Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron. Not Akron, Ohio, where LeBron James is from, but Ekron in the Middle East. Just want to point that out. Verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah. He took possession of the hill country. But, get this contrast, when you see a but there, it's always a big contrast. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Think about this. This is a major compromise, okay? God's people have God, Jehovah, Jehovah the one who brought them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the Promised Land, over the Jordan River, around Jericho, till the walls caved in, that's the God they have. And who does the enemy have? Chariots of iron? Wouldn't somebody have stepped up and said like, hey, have you guys forgotten the God that we serve? Don't you guys remember when we were leaving Egypt how Pharaoh took his armies, 600 of his choice chariots, 600. And then the Bible says, and the other chariots in Egypt. So how many chariots there were, I have no idea. But they're chasing down the Israelites. And have you guys forgotten how God sent fire down from heaven to protect us. And have you guys forgotten how the, the Red Sea opened up. And we walked through on dry land. And have you forgotten how the wheels of the chariots. God caused them to fall off. So they're being drugged like weights. And actually slowing down the army. And have you forgotten that by the time they made it into the Red Sea. God dropped the sea on them. Let's go. Let's get it done. What are we waiting for? But they compromised. They compromised. You know, you can watch video footage, and you should do this when you get home. Go on YouTube. There are archaeologists who are scuba diving in the Red Sea, and they found all those chariots, chariots of iron at the bottom of the Red Sea. To this day, you can go home and watch the footage, a testament to our God. Here's the thing. The generation that had seen God bring them through the Red Sea was long since gone. And some of those stories had been forgotten. Man, I wish somebody had a stepped up. I wish somebody had talked about their grandfather who reminded them of how God provided. I wish somebody had said, don't you guys remember Aunt Miriam? How she had leprosy and God healed her. And she talked about God bringing the manna and bringing the water in dry desert places and leading them in a pillar of fire and a cloud. Don't you guys remember? Remember? but they compromised. And maybe they thought, you know, we've got most of the job done. We did 95%. I mean, we did all the hard work up to the last 5%. Can't we kick our feet up? Can't we just let these guys go? You know, I remember mowing the lawn for my dad, another lawn mowing story, and out in the hot sun and you just want to drink, right? Especially when you're a young guy and, and you don't really know what hard work means and you think you're, you're just a slave out there working for your dad and you know, you get down to the back lawn, and I'm just going to leave the last five feet, you know, because I can feel the, the gas is running out in the lawnmower. It's just enough, you know. I'm going to head up to the garage and get my glass of water, and Dad says, Did you finish the lawn? Yeah, Dad, I finished the lawn. But I hadn't finished the lawn. And guess what? He always knew. I don't know how he knew. And I'd have to get back out there with the mower and finish it up because the job's not done until the job's done. Is it? 95% is a pretty good grade. I never got those grades in school, but it's not 100%. And then we come back to Caleb, okay? Caleb is just a shining light of faithfulness in this story. Verse 20, Judges chapter 1. Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. That's a really simple summary of Joshua chapter 14. And I'm sure that story was preached because it's an incredible story. Caleb at this point is 85 years of age. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you're 85 or older, you know you're not such a spring chicken anymore. And Caleb at 85 drives out the three sons of Anak who are known to be giants. An 85-year-old man drives out the giants from the hill country of Hebron. Completely finishes the job. A strong start as a spy in the promised land and a strong finish as an 85-year-old man who took his inheritance by force. Big compromise. You know compromise just compounds? It builds and it gets easier and easier and easier. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you made a New Year resolution, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Maybe you've made it this far. Maybe you haven't. Most people don't make it this far because once you just take that little morsel of goodness or once you sleep in past your alarm or once you skip that one day, it just gets easier and easier and easier, doesn't it? Compromise. Look at verse 21. But... The people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. You know, sometimes we put up with our problems long enough that we become complacent. We compromise to the point of complacency. We get to the point where, you know what, it's easier just to live with it. I'll just put a little ointment on the wound. Just throw a band-aid on there. I can live with the limp and we put up with it. We don't get rid of it. We don't finish the job. And then the tribe of Joseph, they did a pretty good job. They took Bethel, and they only let one family go. It's kind of like a Rahab and the spies in Jericho sort of situation. And then the, the slippery slope just picks up speed, and that, that Jenga tower is getting wobblier and wobblier. Manasseh didn't drive any of the enemy out. But eventually, they use the enemy as slaves. They use them in forced labor. They use them to bring water and wood for the temple sacrifices. You know, sometimes we justify our problems because what they can do for us. We justify our compromises because of the payback that they can do for us. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe cheating on taxes has a good financial return, and it's tough to cut that out. Maybe it's that inappropriate content on TV. And, and, you know, you justify it because every new movie coming out has inappropriate content. So what am I going to do? Am I not going to go see a movie? Maybe it's explicit lyrics in music and that Eminem just has such a great beat. And I don't listen to the lyrics anyway. I just love the beat. Those little compromises add up and build the complacency and compromise there's another compromise, and it's with the tribe of Asher. And I didn't see this the first few times I read through the passage. Verse 32. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Now, did you catch the switch? No longer is it the enemy being allowed to live in God's land with God's people. It's now God's people being allowed by the enemy to live with the enemy in the enemy's land. Do you see that? They've lost the upper hand. Totally lost it. And it's the same with Naphtali. Now, remember what a strong start they had? How they were just conquering and conquering Judah and Simeon. Look at verse 34. The Amorites pressed the people of the tribe of Dan back into the hill country. For they did not allow them to come down to the plain. They couldn't even get to the battlefield because they were running for the hills, running for the trees, running to any cave that would give them protection. Let me ask the question, how did they get here? How did they get to this point? such a strong start. The book of Joshua is one of my favorite books, not only because it's an awesome name, but because it's full of celebration, conquering, victory, God coming through. Be strong and courageous for I'll go with you. I've already given the battle into your hand. It's just such a celebratory book. And then you get to Judges, and it just seems like this downward spiral of defeat and compromise. How did they get here? The people of Dan couldn't conquer the enemy. They couldn't drive them out. They couldn't even make a peace treaty with them. Instead, they were sent running. God's people. If you allow compromise to be a part of your story, eventually you'll turn around and realize just how far you've come from where you should be. The choices you make today are shaping who you'll be tomorrow, and especially for the next generation. Judges chapter 2. We have this ugly scene at the start of Judges chapter 2, and I'm not going to read all of it, but the angel of the Lord leaves Gilgal and goes to Bochum. Now, who remembers Gilgal? What happened at Gilgal? The Hebrew people, God's people, had just crossed the Jordan River, and they gathered 12 stones to set up at Gilgal as a memorial of all that God had done in bringing them and providing for them and protecting and fighting for them. And then Joshua stands before the commander of the Lord's armies. And it's the angel of the Lord. And you remember he says, remove your shoes for the place where you stand is holy ground. It's kind of like a Moses at the burning bush situation. And Gilgal is the camp that they had right before they took over Jericho. And they saw that awesome defeat where all they had to do was raise their voices and blow the trumpets on the seventh day. And those walls came crumbling in. God fought for Israel. That's Gilgal. Now, where's Bochem? Do you know what Bochem means? The place of tears. The place of weeping. It's a descriptive term that's used for hell. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is where the angel of the Lord stands before Israel and says, because of your disobedience, Israel, because of your rebellion, because of your idolatry, God is no longer going to drive out the nations before you. Discipline is hard, isn't it? Punishment stinks. I hate disciplining my kids. If you see my daughter, she is such a cute kid, trying to get mad at that that little face. But it's a necessary part of parenting and leading, isn't it? When God disciplines his children, it's not because there's something he wants to take away or withhold from them. It's because there's something that he has better for them. When God has a command or a rule or a law or a discipline, it's not because he wants to take something from his people. It's because he's got a better preferred future for his people. And that's why God had to discipline his people there. That's why God could no longer drive out the nations before them. And God's people, after the intervention, I bet they looked at each other and they asked, how did we get here? How did we slide so far? compromise, just one step at a time, one small compromise, one little block on the Jenga pyramid at a time. The other reason I didn't bring Jenga is because I knew at some point it would fall and probably hit some people and scare some people, so I decided not to. Look at verse 10. Joshua is dead. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, And one of the saddest verses in this whole book, right here. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Do you know we're only one generation away from atheism? We're only one generation away from total apostasy. We're only one generation away from forgetting God. Is that a scary thought? That's a scary thought for me. What are we doing to ensure the faith of the next generation? It's not totally in our hands, but we have a part in it. What we do today affects who we are tomorrow. Here's a figure from John Maxwell. John Maxwell is a world-class leadership teacher. He's been to 200 countries plus around the world teaching leadership. He said that even the most introverted person over the course of an average lifetime will influence 10,000 people. 10,000 people. And we can begin to understand that when we think about technology and social media and all the connectedness and affluence that we have in our world today. 10,000 people. How are we leveraging that influence for the sake of the next generation? Because who we are today affects who they're going to be tomorrow. And what we think about God today, how we follow Jesus today, has a lot to do with how our kids are going to follow Jesus tomorrow. Judges chapter 2 tells us that Israel served the gods of the Canaanites. There was Baal, the god of the sun, and there was Asheroth, the god of the moon, And then you have all these other gods that the Canaanites served. One of them was Molech. And I want to tell you about Molech. Molech was a god who had statues built with the body of a man and the head of a bull. And the statue would have its arms spread out like this with a little hole in its chest. And they would build a blazing fire inside the statue of Molech. And they would sacrifice their children to Molech. This is God's people we're talking about. And Molech said that he ensured the prosperity of that family in the future if they would only sacrifice their firstborn to Molech. This is God's people. Now, you want to talk about harming the faith of the next generation. Here's about the worst way you can do it, right? This is God's people. This is how far... They had gone. This is why God had to say, I'm not going to drive out your enemies before you. They literally traded the lives of the next generation for the promise of their own comfort and prosperity. You know, there's a lot of churches in our world today who are all about their own comfort and prosperity and care very little for the faith of the next generation. In fact, the faith of the next generation is being sacrificed on an idol of comfort and prosperity. And I pray that would never be the case in this church. They were so far from God. And I think this is an important point. God didn't leave them. They left God. One small compromise at a time. God is the same today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He's immutable. He's all-powerful. God didn't change. They turned their back on God. One small compromise at a time. You know what? Chapter 2 continues with a plot summary of the downward spiral of the entire book of Judges. I've often heard that it's like a cycle. They keep going around this circle. But in reality, it's a downward cycle. It's like a spiral. Like if you've ever watched the toilet after you've flushed it, that's the book of Judges. Just a downward spiral of God's people. And it just got worse and worse and worse because without God, we are slaves to our own sin. We just follow the wickedness of our heart and wherever it would lead us. But you know what? Every time the people of God get stuck, every time they find themselves enslaved to another nation, people, group, king, whenever they turn and they cry out to God in their distress, our merciful, gracious, loving God has pity and compassion on them, And he sends them a rescuer, a judge, raises them up from their own people to save them and give them political and religious freedom from their oppressors. Every time, no matter how deep they got, no matter how twisted they were in their sacrifices to Molech and to Asheroth and to Baal, no matter how far down the road of compromise they got, whenever they turned and cried out to God, He rescued them. You know, there are pictures throughout the Old Testament that are so beautiful and portray what Jesus has done for us. And this is one incredible one. Last week, we celebrated Easter. Jesus died an innocent death. He was the innocent lamb that was slain. The only one who could carry our sins to the cross because of his perfect nature. And he died on that cross carrying my sin, your sin, our shame, our regrets, our embarrassments, all the times we've compromised and gotten ourselves into a mess. And he bought our forgiveness by his death. And then three days later, Easter Sunday, he rose victorious. And not only did his death give us forgiveness, but his resurrection gives us life and hope and a home in eternity and a God who will forever be our father and provider. And today I want to say, if you came into this place and you feel like you're stuck, you feel like you've been compromising, you turned around and you saw where you thought you should be and how far you've slid, I want to let you know you're among friends. We've all been in that situation. And in fact, that's what ties us together. We've realized that we have slipped so far. In fact, the Bible says that we could never attain God's perfection. We will always fall short. But that's why Jesus died for our sins. And the Bible says, just like in the book of Judges that we're reading, if you cry out in your distress, God will hear you and God will rescue you. The Bible says that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Because John three sixteen ensures us that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, I want to encourage you, today is the day of salvation. Man, we're going to be around after the service. I don't know where I'm going to be, but come and catch me, catch Pastor Steve, Alex. We would love to have that conversation with you. Nothing would thrill us more today than to tell you how you can know Jesus as your personal Savior and be freed from the dominance of sin. And that's the story of the book of Judges. Every time the people cried out, God raised up a rescuer. Now, at the time that I have left, let's look at Judges chapter 3. And I just want to show you the first three Judges quickly. I'm going to paraphrase it. And what I find so interesting is as you watch the compromise of the tribes of Judah, how they're listed in chapter one, you see in turn the judges who are raised up. The first judge from the tribe of Judah, the second judge from the tribe of Benjamin. It's almost in direct order of chapter one, which makes me think the amount the previous generation compromised in turn affected where the judges were selected from in their tribes in Israel. Just kind of an academic geeky thought that uh, came to my mind as I was studying out the passage. Verse 9. Israel is slaves to the king of Mesopotamia for eight years. Eight years is a a good length of time. Verse 9. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, the very first judge for the people of Israel who saved them. See if you recognize this guy. Othniel, the son of Kenaz... Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He judged Israel. He went out to war. And the Lord gave Cushan Rishatham, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishatham. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Where have we heard of Othniel? Chapter 1, right? And who is he? He's the nephew of. Of Caleb. Now let's let's back up a bit, because I've never seen this before. I just taught the book of Judges at camp last summer and I didn't see this. I wish I had of. Othniel is Caleb's nephew. You remember in chapter one, Caleb stepped aside and invited the next generation to step up and to conquer the land for themselves, right? That was Othniel. Guess who God selects as the very first judge? Othniel. People, there's hope for the next generation. Amen? If we can just step aside. Give them the space. Give them the platform. Did you see the worship team up here this morning? I'm not going to take a guess at the average age, but it's young. (laughs) That is awesome. Let's step aside. Let's give the next generation opportunity. And God's going to surprise us. The next judge illustrates this concept so well. The people of Israel were stuck in slavery. 18 years. And it's to the fat king Eglon. My uncle calls this story hefty versus lefty. <laughs> and I'd encourage you, when you get home, read through this story. It's incredible. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Verse 15. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Girah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The name Ehud means the one who is praised, the one who's encouraged, the one who's affirmed. Josephus tells us he's a young man, probably a youth, the next generation who's encouraged and affirmed and promoted. That's Ehud. Ehud's dad was a nobody. He came from the tribe of Benjamin, which was the smallest, uh, the youngest brother of the 12, the smallest tribe, right? Right? And to top it all off, he's left-handed. How many people remember a time in school where if you were left-handed, you were forced to use your right hand? Anybody remember that? Okay. So it was kind of looked at as a setback, right? It's harder to use scissors. It's harder to use a chainsaw. You have to buy a left-handed guitar, right? There's all kinds of reasons to use your right hand. So this was potentially looked at as a setback. You know, some men who study the Bible suggest that even potentially Ehud's right arm was maimed, so he had to use his left hand. I don't know, maybe that's speculation. But regardless, this is a young guy who has no fame, no big town that he came from, and he has a setback. He has a minor disability. And that's who God uses as judge number two to bring the people out of an 18 year slavery. And the story's incredible. It said that he took his sword and he strapped it to his right thigh. If you're right-handed, you strap it to your left thigh so that you can draw it out, right? But he's left-handed, so he straps it to his right thigh. And potentially, that's how he snuck into the king's quarters and killed the fat king Eglon. And he escapes out, and the soldiers are standing outside the king's room, and the king's been in there for a long time. Potentially, it's the bathroom. It says he's relieving himself. And the soldiers get to the point where they are so embarrassed for him because it's been such a long time. We better check on the king. He might not be doing well. So they unlock the door, and there's their king dead on the floor. God works through a young kid from a little town who has a setback. How cool is that? And then the third judge, is just one verse. I don't think I even put it up on the slide there. Verse 31, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat, and he also saved Israel. No big deal. We'll just throw an extra sentence in there. How many people recognize the name Philistines? Who came from the Philistines that we know well? Goliath, right? These guys were known for being giants, Goliath of Gath. And you know, when David picked up those stones, how many did he pick up? Five? I'm asking because I don't remember. But he picked up numerous ones. You know what was suggested? Goliath had four brothers. So David was getting ready to take them all out, not just Goliath. And this guy, Shamgar, takes out 600 Philistines with an ox goad. An ox goad, when you're leading oxen. And maybe there's some folks here who have done this. I've never done it. But an ox goad is like a stick that you poke the oxen with to keep them going. If you want them to turn or if you want them to keep moving forward, you poke them with an ox goad. Shamgar takes a stick used for farming and takes out 600 Philistines, the people that Goliath came from. How incredible is that? But yet we think to ourselves, I'm nobody special, you know? If God can use an ox goad, I think he can use us, right? If God can use a young guy from a no-name town with a setback or a disability, I think God can use us, right? If God can talk through Balaam's donkey, he can talk through me, right? Man, we just need to step aside and let the next generation exercise their gifts because they're going to surprise us almost every time. Let's refuse compromise, Just because everybody's doing it, we don't have to do it. Just because society says it's right doesn't mean we have to do it. Just because it's the path of least resistance doesn't mean it's right before God. God offers a fresh start. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning, and he's made us a new creation. If you've fallen down that road of compromise, God has new mercies for you. Let's not compromise, because the faith of the younger generation depends on it. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. God, I thank you for the book of Judges. It's an interesting book. It's some of those Sunday school stories that I remember hearing as a kid that I knew my parents wouldn't want me to hear all the details of, but I did anyway, so they stuck in my mind. God, I just thank you that you are a God who provides, that you are a God who rescues, that even in the deepest pits of despair, if we cry out to you, you are merciful and righteous to save us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we just call out on the name of the Lord, confess our sins, you are faithful. God, we thank you for these promises. God, I thank you for this church. God, I pray for their leadership. God, I thank you for the youth that we've seen on stage. God, it makes it so much easier to preach a book like this, knowing that this church is focused on the next generation and giving them opportunity to exercise their gifts and strive after what is God is calling them to. God, I pray for this community of Great Village, Colchester County. God, I pray that you would do miraculous things here, Father. We're trusting in the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. We've seen you before. We'll see you do it again, God. God, I thank you for our time here this morning, for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.